to episode 121 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 12th of April, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Howdy. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So, before we get into a lot of your feedback, I wanted some advice from the audience and from you three guys here. So, Wimpress very kindly gave me an IKEA bag's worth of stuff that he was throwing out, essentially. Just all cool stuff like a keyboard and a mouse and a green screen and all sorts of stuff. But also a Razer Core V2 eGPU enclosure and a Vega 56 card to go in it. Now, keeping in mind that I don't play games, I might play some games now I've got this, but what else can I do with it? One word, flight gear. It's not a game, it's a simulation. <laughs> I'm not buying a joystick as well. Well, a joystick, set of pedals, some multifunctional displays for your desk, you'd be sorted. <laughs> a pair of aviators. <laughs> Obviously a helmet and a mask. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, what, what can I do with this thing? Heat up your living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Because you can't really do machine learning on it because that's all NVIDIA stuff. So on an AMD card like this, I, I don't know, I was thinking maybe try and get into video editing, but then are any of the Linux video editors properly hardware accelerated? Kadian Live is now, I think. Is it? Right. Okay, so maybe that's a good idea. I mean, I was thinking about this, uh, you can do that music deep faking. Like I've heard like Oasis and stuff like that where it like takes the first bit of the song and then carries it on and it's just like really weird uncanny valley shit but you don't really need a graphics card for that you can do that on a reasonable cpu i saw oh i can't remember who it was now um jaunty wearing perhaps did uh, an ai conference and the ai wrote the title of the talks and the talks themselves and it was spookily accurate <laughs> <laughs> there is a load of open cl stuff that will work um, Blender, of course, and there's some like if you, it's geeky, but photogrammetry, building 3D models out of a load of photographs. Um, there's some open source tools that use OpenCL and GPU acceleration to, you know, to make that speed feasible. Otherwise, it takes 24 hours to grind the photos. All right, so I could take photos of my neighbourhood or whatever and create some sort of 3D model from it. Yeah, that's ambitious. I mean. Maybe a table in your garden or, you know, right, a Rubik's okay. Cube on your <laughs> <Yeah>. table. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a guitar or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That sounds like something I should look into. Excellent. Do you know what I'm disgusted by? The fact that he's given you a car that's better than the one that's in my main system. <laughs> I'm fucking disgusted right now. Plus 25% apparently by userbenchmark.com. Screw you, Wimpress. Well, apparently you can flash a Vega 56 to make it think it's a 64. And it performs even better, but I've not actually wow. looked into that yet. <laughs> it also causes Aurora Borealis inside your PC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if there's anything else that people can think of, um, I'm sure I'll just get bombarded with game uh, suggestions, but I just don't really have time to play games or the inclination. If you must suggest games, then maybe two-player co-op games that I can play with my wife because I can't compete against her because that just doesn't end well no matter who wins that doesn't end well so if we could um play together i mean I, I tweeted about this about like how basically sonic 2 on the mega drive where one could be sonic and one could be tails like the modern equivalent of that maybe i might be willing to give a go because he also gave me a couple of xbox 360 controllers all right well let's cover some feedback stuart said on audacity's new sqlite file format sqlite.org slash app file format.html is useful reading i think 
There are a few good reasons for doing it. Agreed on the thing about potential corruption, but the counter-argument is that SQLite does a much, much better job at avoiding corruption in the first place than some blokes code to write files to disk. Maybe, but I do take your point that you could stitch the WAVs together, whereas trying to hoover that out of a DB would be painful. It depends, I guess. You would hope that somebody writing an audio editor kind of does know what they're doing with saving a file, though. I bet it's not that difficult to get it out. I bet it's a few simple select statements, getting a binary blob and then just catting them all together. He says with absolutely no <laughs> knowledge of how it works. Go on, then. <laughs> Off you go. I'm sure there's a snap of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas just dragging them into an audio editor, dragging the individual six second files or whatever is, is long, but it's doable. So, yeah, still not 100% convinced, but I haven't actually used it in anger yet, Audacity 3.0, so we'll see. Maybe in the next LTS, whenever I get that. So Luna said, Audacity is using WX widgets, by the way, not even GTK2. Yeah, that was me that mentioned I think I didn't want to insult Audacity too much by going even <laughs> further back. <laughs> but mentally, I mean, I didn't know. I'd forgotten that it was using WX widgets. And actually, they look pretty good considering their age. <laughs> I don't give a shit what it looks like as long as it still works. Yeah, well, we know that because you use XFCE, so you don't need oh, to yeah. emphasize that. <laughs> Yeah, but don't don't you want modal effects? You know, don't you want to be able to open up like an effects rack and process audio without having to do a preview or burn them to the actual WAV? It's a bigger issue than just UI, but I mean, I I can't use. I find it hard to use an audio editor without that capability. Well, it's not a proper door, though, is it? A digital audio workstation. It's more of a wave editor with like a bit of door functionality thrown in. I know, but did you ever use WaveLab? I don't think so. No. It's just that, you know, when editing, I might use a little bit of compression or something, When whereas I wouldn't actually write that compression to the file. I just want the editing environment to be a bit more pleasant. And the five-second preview isn't good enough. I often skip to different parts of the waveform if it's a long waveform to be able to hear what the effect is going to do on that part. Yeah, but if you want to do stuff like that, then use something like Ardor or Reaper or whatever. Yeah, but I'm, I'm still doing very audacity-like editing. I'm not using a multi-track. I don't want to set up Jack or anything. I just want to open a file like a text editor and cut bits out and process a little bit. K-Wave editor, Graham, that's what you need. Yeah, that works. There are a few alternatives. Uh, it sounds like you want all the benefits while not being part of the club or some other <laughs> Brexit-related joke. But no, it, it sounds like you, you want too much there to me. Honestly, I don't think Modal... I think WaveLab had it in the, the late 90s, um, and it just is so much more natural way to work. And when you've, when you've, so you set up your effects, you go through and then you edit your file. And if you're happy with the way the effects of sound, then you kind of make them permanent on the audio file rather than doing everything in this very linear, sequential way. Ah, that's what Control Z's for. <laughs> do it once. No, that doesn't sound right. Control Z, change the parameter, do it all again. No, that doesn't sound right. It's, uh, it's much more rewarding to do it in that <laughs> lengthy way, Graham. Okay, you win. <laughs> Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. 
and when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up, and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit, and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. All right, Chris, who came on the show to talk about Chromebooks, he wrote to us and said, this works great for me on a Fire Stick 4K. Change the default launcher to basically the XFCE of Android. Just use the apps as buttons. It's a bit of a cat and mouse game with Amazon updates, but largely it has worked really well for me, and it's called Launcher Manager. This is a great suggestion, Chris, and thanks for tweeting at us about uh, the suggestion. And I did exactly as you suggested um, and replaced the default Amazon launcher with... It's a two-step process. You need a couple of ABKs. The first one that kind of through ADB disables the Amazon launcher and allows you to set your own and the other one is that you set your own and we installed a very vanilla launcher to replace the sprawling Amazon one that changes every time to push whatever Amazon wants to push I mean it's a big success I mean the the people that use it were initially kind of there's not much eye candy and they miss it but I've, I've watched them and they find what they're after much quicker um, um, I imagine without as much mental burden. Yeah, and, and taking the lead from from that tweet, I did the same thing this weekend uh, and installed Wolf Launcher, which is exactly as he says, the XFCE of uh, of Android. It, it's just the icons. There was also another APK for uh, I think they call it Fire OS Update Blocker or, or something like that. Mm. Um, I'll find the link. I'll add it to the the show notes, which will stop the. Uh, continual updates coming from Amazon to try and stop you doing this. Um, but yeah, jump through a few hoops, switch the launcher, and it it works. You also need to install another app to get the settings, to get at the, the settings of the Fire Stick, but that seemed to work fine. Uh, and then, yeah, there you go. You've got your, your major streaming platforms and none of the adverts and auto-playing trailers and all that garbage that um, you, they try and force on you. So, yeah, thanks for that pointer. It really worked well for me. I do wonder, though, what's the point of having a Fire Stick if you're going to jump through a bunch of hoops? Why not just go for something a bit more hacky in the first place? Like You're, you're trying to hack something that's not supposed to be hacked. I have tried it that way. I've got Kodi installed on the same device. Um, and it's just, everybody here just uses Netflix, Amazon Prime video streaming and Disney Plus. I mean, especially over the last year. And they just want it to work. And while it can work for a while using your own hacky way, and it is improving, I'm really excited about trying Kodi on the Raspberry Pi. Um, it's just always, you know, it always gets somebody calling in from the other room when something's not working. And the Amazon Fire TV sticks are really cheap. Um, and the hardware is pretty decent. It works pretty well. The remote's quite nice. Some of the features that come with it are, are useful. So the remote that comes with the Fire TV stick is also a universal IR remote and can be configured to operate all of your other gizmos. So stuff like that, just out of the box for whatever it is, 30 quid, um, is is too good to pass up. And once you add this hack, you it's fairly straightforward. You jump through the hoops, but then you've got a device that you can really do what you want with. Yeah, and listen to this, Phelan. I can turn on the television from the kitchen. 
In fairness, I've done that by mistake as well, where I've accidentally sent it to. Uh, <laughs> it's like share video two, and it's like, oh no, I didn't mean to do that, and I have to go downstairs in the middle of the night and turn it off. <laughs> um, just just one uh, update I had from uh, the other half, who said, uh, if I go to settings player and videos, there are two settings to help your DVTB broadcast receiver pick up things and not go out of frame sync. And in the playback section, adjust display refresh rate set to always and sync playback to display ticked on. Those two features uh, cause the DVTB stuff to work properly. So if anybody's having out of sync audio video, those two features are well worth a try. Is that Cody? It is Cody, yeah. We had another young person contact us about getting into Linux, someone called Luke. I'm 14, and I don't think you really need to get young people into Linux. I really love Linux, and I think there will always be people who do. Most people always keep using their Windows and Mac or Chrome OS, and while I would love people to switch, I just don't think that it's likely. If you really want Linux to be used widely, then you have to do what Google did with Chrome OS. Pre-installed, easy web access, and no choices or configuration. Most people don't care as long as they have Google, Facebook, and Zoom. Even Linux Mint, supposedly the beginner's distro, has three desktop environments which are confusing at first. I love configuration. That's why I use Arch with XFCE. Oh, look, an Arch user. By the way. By the way, yes. But 90% of people want simplicity or just don't care. Linux just isn't suitable for the general public without removing what makes Linux Linux. P.S. 12-year-olds swear a lot. (laughs) Yeah, well, it seems that Luke, you've come to the jaded position that we have uh, <laughs> 25 years before we did. <laughs> so well done. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who supports us on Patreon and PayPal. We really do appreciate that. Remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And you can go to latenightlinux.com contact for ways to get in touch with us. Quick reminder, the next Mumble get-together will be on Friday the 24th of April at 10pm UK time. Details at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. And also check out a podcast called Conversations in Code. It's conversationsincode.xyz. And that's from a couple of Australian guys, Mike and Campbell. Campbell, who is Campbell Barton of Blender, who has been on this show before. So he's a really cool guy. I met up with him in London once. And so yeah, uh, give him a listen conversationsincode.xyz. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven-day free trial. I've just started my learning journey with CBT Nuggets, but I've already picked up tons of knowledge from the short and manageable videos in the Docker and Network Fundamentals courses. Their in-house trainers are active and certified IT professionals who add around 40 hours of new training to the course catalogue each week so you can always stay current and up-to-date. So start your free 7-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. We've got an email from Harold. Um, You've had several discussions about search, 
but not one about how fucking bad all search has become, especially Google. To give an example, I used to be an Amazon seller and being f fucking fed up with Amazon, I wanted to end my relationship with them. Well, as you may know, Amazon does not give out any information on how to delete a seller's account. As far as Amazon is concerned, you are forever bound to them. I did a Google search. Well, since Amazon owns the web, you can imagine the first page was all but one Amazon links. They were mostly how to set your account on vacation. The next page was almost identical to the first and so on. I did not go past the fifth page. Most searches for almost anything are like that. Why do I keep seeing the same links page after page? Does Google think I missed something on the first page? I did get rid of my Amazon account, but that was through a tutorial on YouTube. God bless Google. <laughs> I think I've seen that tutorial. You have to take your computer, throw it into Mordor. And, uh... He actually went on to say he got a few quid for his Amazon account, so fair play to him. But uh, it's not something I've ever experienced, really. I think that if, if you get to a point where you get multiple pages in and you still haven't found it, then your Google search foo is weak and you need to learn how to do it better, don't you? I see. I think he's found, I, I've seen that as well, where you get page upon page and even to the point where Google goes, the next 75 pages are duplicates of this exact same search. So I've not shown them to you. And yeah, it's like, I think it's when it's really scraping the barrel, essentially. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Harold here. I found increasingly so over the last, well, I don't know, maybe the last couple of years, maybe the last year, but Google gets in its head what it thinks you're searching for, not what you have actually searched for. And so I find myself using quotes around things more and more often to try and tell it what I actually care about. Like it does this sort of synonym search where you could use the word, um, oh, I don't have a good example now, but um, you could use one word and it would infer that all of these other words are acceptable results in your search, but it totally changes the meaning of what it is that you're searching for. And I find this very commonly with like technical topics. If I want to know straightforward how old is a particular celebrity, Google's great at that. If you want to know how do I fix this firmware bug, then you end up with just like results that, that are meaningless. Um, so yeah, I agree with Harold. It is increasingly difficult to get a sensible result out of Google. Yeah, it's like you were telling us, Will, you know, you put in dogging and you just get all like pet food and stuff instead of car parts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> On a serious note, people making software projects with daft names like boxes or notepad or whatever, stop doing that. Because at least if you have K whatever it is, you can find it because it's unique. Whereas using random words that are already other words usage, it's just a nightmare. And I've not found a working Windows 10 key for years. <laughs> Do you want a pro tip on that? <laughs> if you want a working Windows 10 key, find an old laptop with a Windows 7 or 8 key and stick that in, and it works perfectly. It's not legal, though. It is. If you own the laptop and are installing Windows 10 on that laptop... Uh, yeah, only if you're installing it onto that same one that has the sticker, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still bitter about my key. Don't you believe oh, I've oh, why like did that. we? Why did you mention this, yes. Brian? All right, Mike says, Not sure if this helps, but Crusader with a K, Dual Panel File Manager, has a feature where you can queue up files to be copied. It also works great with network storage. This is in relation to... 
the discussion that we had on Late Night Linux Extra with our tech superstitions, and I was not wanting to copy more than one file at a time over to NASA <laughs> and things. That sounds like it's a KDE thing, Crusader with a K. It is, yes. It's not a default, but yeah, it is there. Right, and how does that compare with Dolphin then? I don't know. I don't like to stray outside the fold too much. Fair enough. I think once you're used to file editor, it's very hard to change. Um, and I know, I know what he means by it. And yeah, maybe I should try it. Um, but I just, I've always been dubious to go from the default one because there's so many built-in things in Dolphin that it's just hard to miss it. And to be honest, I should just copy more than one file at a time and I wouldn't have this issue. Sounds risky. I know. <laughs> I'm already breaking out in a sweat thinking about it. <laughs> Well, I couldn't live without Thunar, is the bottom line. And so I, uh, shock revelation, I'm not using Neon anymore. And um, it turns out that that little bricks projector that I was using, there's just something wrong with it. I don't know what, but just it doesn't work very well. I tried various distros and they all had this weird audio skipping issue. And I thought, all right, fuck it, I'll go back to Neon then. Go back to Neon, same issue. And so I had to abandon it and dig out an old laptop instead. Um, and I'm going to get a Chromebook back off my mum, a C720. I'm going to use that instead as a media machine. So it's just, I'm afraid the KDE experiment has come to an end. It's a huge revelation to drop in the feedback like this. Scandalous. But I just, you know, like you said there, for you to change over to a different file manager is hard enough, but to change to a completely different desktop environment when you're so entrenched in XFCE, I just, I couldn't do it. I tried and I gave it a good few months, but it just drove me up the wall, all the little things that just annoyed me about it. What, like the future and being useful and colors and yeah exactly i do miss kd connect very much that was definitely the uh you know the cherry on the cake there you could always install the other one couldn't you gs connect yeah i don't know where that is in terms of development maybe i could give it a go but the thing with kd connect is that is very much tried tested works perfectly yeah okay This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into your Linux environment. By uniting metrics and events from servers, databases, applications, and more, Datadog can easily give you a unified view into your entire infrastructure. Easily identify hidden sources of latency, like overloaded hosts, by monitoring server metrics alongside application data. With machine learning-based alerts and features like anomaly detection, Datadog can also help you to monitor and alert on the health of your servers in real time without alert fatigue. Start your Datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com slash late night Linux. Start your free trial, create one dashboard, and you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash late night Linux. Okay, Stuart wrote to us, I don't hear much about Fedora. I've tried other distros, but always end up going back to Fedora because I feel like it's safer in that it is not going to randomly disappear because it's funded by Red Hat, which in turn is funded and owned by IBM, and IBM has a shite load of cash. After seeing what IBM and Red Hat did to CentOS, is Fedora potentially at risk? Should I just permanently switch to a different distro? If yes, which distro should I go to? Phelim, hold your tongue. I know you're going to say yes, go <laughs> oh, to Neon. so close. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I don't think Fedora is in danger. CentOS was a direct competitor to RHEL, 
And so there was no way it was going to survive long term and not in its current or its its then form. Now it's CentOS Stream, which sits almost between Fedora and RHEL. All right, well, so you disagree. I I think that Fedora is fine. I don't think that it's going to go away. I think that it's the bleeding edge way to try out shit that's eventually going to make its way into RHEL, and I think that CentOS Stream sits in between those. You're probably right, but... I don't know. Now they have a new paymaster. Does that not change the rules a little bit? I mean, the reason I've never really been keen on Fedora always seemed like a bit of a crazy testing ground. Like it wasn't just here's a distro, you know, it's the stuff we'll have up in the future. It was more like, oh, we're doing this crazy thing. Wait till you see how mad this is. And then dumped it on people's laps. And it was like, oh, my laptop's on fire. Cool. So, I mean, it's not quite those days anymore, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I always feel like you should go to a, a Debian side anyway, because I'm just entirely biased. I agree with you, Joe. I can't imagine Fedora going anywhere. Um, it's just got such a mind share in the, the whole kind of Linux distro ecosystem. IBM Red Hat would be crazy to let anything happen to it. I don't think that it's just that, though. Because CentOS, you could argue a similar situation. That had such a mind share, not on the desktop, obviously, but on servers. And they just got rid of that or, you know, changed it into CentOS Stream. But I think it's just from a pure pragmatic point of view. Like, as far as Red Hat's concerned, it's great to have a couple of hundred thousand, let's say maybe more, Mm. essentially beta testers who will do it for free for RHEL. And, you know, they put all the new shit in, like Pipewire and um, Wayland has been default for way longer than any other big distros and Pulse was first in Fedora and all the rest of it and they they iron out all those problems with really technical users who are willing to find those bugs and report them and actually work on them for free often and so there's a, a you know an obvious benefit to Red Hat and therefore IBM financially and strategically from Fedora so that's why it just it seems like it's got a rock solid future to me yeah, but that that was always Fedora, what Fedora was. I mean, CentOS existed for a while, uncomfortably outside of the Red Hat domain. And so that was a bit of a pact with the devil in a way when, when it came in under Red Hat's um, control. I mean, it went out, it went well to start off with. But it, yeah, I think Fedora has always been part of the mission in that way. And yeah, I, th- I don't think that will change. I'm not quite so confident. I think that IBM care not one jot about desktop Linux. Now, Red Hat are not under the you know direct influence of IBM, so they say they are an independent company um, and they operate in the same way. But sooner or later, the money people are going to get involved and they're going to start um, tweaking the way that these businesses work. I don't think, well, I don't know. I, I have no idea how much revenue desktop Linux generates for Red Hat, but as far as IBM are concerned, I don't think that they care. So two, three years in, in the future, I think that um, there is a risk that IBM will force Red Hat to stop caring about it and only focus on cloud. I think if you take this from a, a purely agnostic sort of sense, um, if you work with servers, use whatever desktop is nearer to them. Like if you use SUSE servers, use SUSE. If you use Debian-based Ubuntu you know, use what's closest to you that you can use your skills day in, day out on on your work stuff as your desktop home stuff. But I think 
yeah, it'd be interesting to see, as, as Will says, in the future, what, what the future holds for them. I think that might be a little bit of wishful thinking as well. I think that people, people, software developers specifically, who are also people, use Macs these days, and I don't think they use Linux on their desktop. Some developers do use Linux, but uh, yeah, a lot of admins, a lot of you know Linux people who make money from it are not desktop enthusiasts or whatever. A lot of them are using Macs or WSL and don't actually use the desktop. That's what I've found in my real-life conversations with people who work on servers and development all the time. Am I not a real person, Joe? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're just some weird, like, <laughs> hates Google and Amazon and, you know, anything not free. You're not a real person. You're not a real boy. All right, what about this other question then? So let's say that Stuart does want to change. I mean, surely we're all going to say Ubuntu. I mean, maybe Sousa, but like, I, I surely Ubuntu is just the logical choice if you're not going to use Fedora. KD Neon. Well, I, that is Ubuntu, isn't it? Like, you know, Ubuntu and then pick your poison when it comes to whatever your desktop environment is. Apart from the fact I work from Canonical, even without that, I think I would say it has to be something like Ubuntu. Um, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just a great environment to work in. Of course, I personally use Arch. I don't know if I've mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you use a mixture, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do. I still like playing with other distros as well. Yeah, but I think realistically, it's it's got to be either OpenSUSE or Ubuntu, really, especially if you are in the industry. And like Phelim said, whatever's closest to what you're running on the server makes the most sense to me. All right, well, we'd better get out of here then. I'm going to say even more stuff than normal again to try and make it so that the music fades up. Uh, uh, maybe I should just change the fade of the music. I don't know. That would be a lot easier. Hopefully that's enough bullshit. So, right, we'll be back next week when we'll be talking about what's been going on in the news, probably. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>